don't aim to solve all the world's problems, but we do offer you peace of mind, hope, laughter, and ideas on how you can help improve circumstances and communities. Good change is for you. For us, we take to heart your concerns about anger, injustice, and helplessness, the pain that we each feel, and give you something better to witness, something better to believe in. In many ways, this podcast is the opposite of self-help. It's us help. We draw attention to kindness, to the better angels of our nature. We swap stories that bring smiles, deep breaths, inspiration, and ideas to help us evolve. We introduce you to people who are positively transforming lives, leaders of movements, or everyday heroes who are making change. Good change. Good change highlights the common ground we share, the unlimited positive impact of a single person, and the greater good. Welcome to Good Change, a podcast about making a world of difference. Please welcome your host and good change maker, Ken Streeter. Hi, everybody. This is Ken Streeter. I'm the host of the Good Change podcast, and I'm honored that you're here listening or watching. I wanted to share with you the reason for this podcast and some of the guests that we'll be having, and then tell you a couple stories that uh, illustrate why it is that I'm sitting in this chair. So the Good Change podcast brings together movement makers, industry leaders, visionaries, everyday heroes, people that in one form or another have changed circumstances or their communities for the better, and in general are serving as role models for us to try to do more of the same. We offer shows that bring you peace of mind, a chance to take a deep breath or two, get some laughter in, and learn pearls of wisdom, action items that maybe you can implement to make circumstances or your community better. Our philosophy is that common ground blooms greater good, and we aim to present information and people who provide examples of, of how that works. It's not a Pollyanna, positive thought only podcast. It's a real show, but we do focus on things that we can do to make our communities, our cities, our nation, our world better. I wanted to share with you a couple of stories that reflect why that I'm here in this chair. Uh, one of our early guests on the podcast is a gentleman by the name of Jib Ellison, who founded an organization called Project Raft, Russians and Americans for Teamwork. And in the early 1980s, he came up with this idea and then implemented it along with a group of ragtag river guides of which I was one. And we had the opportunity long ago to go to the Soviet Union back when it was a communist country and um, learn new skills, develop new friendships, and in general, just become grounded in the idea that we each have the capacity to make worlds better. So we flew 55 hours from Seattle to South Central Siberia. We traveled by big jet, small jet, small car, rust bucket helicopter. We ended up in a place that is literally the most landlocked portion of Earth in an area that from everything we were told had never been explored by Westerners. We took a mountain of gear with us. We were joined by Soviet counterparts. We had no idea what kind of rafting equipment they would have whether or not we'd be able to get along, how we would deal with culture and language barriers. But we quickly discovered that our common interest led us to become teammates 
and friends. It only took a matter of days before the Iron Curtain turned into a, a chiffon veil, so to speak. And we headed down river after spending the first three or four days at an Alpine camp, assembling our gear and getting to know each other. There are three elements to this story that I think illustrate the, the good, uh, the not so good, and the potential of each one of us, one life, creating a ripple that can change another individual or a community. A couple of days after launching, we were on the high alpine stretches of this river, really, really the headwaters of this river at the base of some 14,000 foot mountains. We floated into this area that we could tell had become inhabited by people who had been there for a long time. And we based that on the fact that this village looked like kind of like a scene out of the Wizard of Oz before it turns to color, it, a Midwest Dust Bowl town ramshackle cabins along the side of the river, literally in the middle of nowhere, thousands and thousands of miles from Moscow. We climbed off our rafts and walked ashore. We had bright yellow dry suits on and life jackets. And we had old video cameras from the 80s that were pretty sizable and, and could have been mistaken for automatic weapons. We had helmets on. Our guess is that the people that watched us walking into town thought that they were being invaded and had no idea who it was. They literally ran and hid inside their cabin, slamming their cabin doors behind them, pulling their curtains shut. And we stood in this town square. I'm guessing it was a population of 100, 150 people. We stood in this town square for several minutes with nobody, nobody willing to come outside and talk with us. We had some Russian interpreters with us. We finally were blessed with a couple of older gentlemen, and I mean older gentlemen, they were probably in their 70s or 80s, the, the fathers of the community, the gatekeepers of the community. They, they came out from the inside their cabins and they introduced themselves through the interpreter. We said that we weren't here to invade them. We were just floating down the river. We talked about where we were coming from. And after a few minutes, we realized from our side that these Soviet citizens were not to be feared. And the more remarkable thing was when one of the gentlemen said to us through the interpreter, you're not the barbarians we were led to believe you were. That's when we knew that citizen diplomacy in this particular format with the Project Raft trip uh, could work. Um, and this trip was designed as an exploratory to find rivers that would be good places for future trips where we would bring American kids, high school and college kids over to the Soviet Union, they would raft with Soviet Russian high school and um, college kids. This town was called Marala Boycheskoya, and I hope I'm not butchering that name, which literally translates to reindeer hunting village which is a clear testimonial to the fact that we were in the middle of nowhere in Siberia and these people had been taught to fear us, we'd been taught to fear them, and we realized there was nothing to be afraid of. They left us with some of the most sour, uh, lip cheek puckering drink imaginable as a parting gift. It was curdled goat's milk or something like that. But of course we drank it and, and toasted to our new friendship in this village. Our, our feelings of euphoria 
I think that's a good word. Uh, definitely happiness, um, the feeling that we were on to something with this trip, um, in, embodied our spirit for the next uh, day or two as we floated further down the river. And then we floated around a corner and came to an area that was increasingly populated. There were farmhouses that appeared up on the bluffs along the river. And we drifted around a long elbow bend to the right, I remember that, and uh, saw two people up on shore from a distance. We wanted to get to know those people as well. We'd had such good success in this village upriver that as we paddled closer to shore, we saw that it was a, a man and a woman, maybe a husband and wife. And that was when tragedy unfolded us and we were reminded of the, the challenges, the hurt, the pain, the indecency that we all had to overcome uh, in our life at different times. And that still existed even as we were paddling down this river with Russians and Americans, literally and metaphorically in the same raft. A gentleman was beating his wife on the shore. We pulled ashore to their surprise um, and we stopped the violence. We separated the man and the woman, the Russians with us, um, literally ripped this guy a new you-know-what and said that if we ever come back to this village and hear that you're doing the same thing, it will be you that would suffer the physical consequences. We asked the woman if she was okay. She said yes. She walked away up the bluff and away from the river. We made sure that the man was not following her at least as best we could. And we got back in the rafts and we floated down the river, shaken, shaken by this event and aware, keenly aware of the irony of us working together to overcome the world's problems. And yet there's still being need to overcome problems and, and serve as, as good leaders in communities in the middle of nowhere. Over the course of that remainder, over the remainder of that trip, we spent so many days with our Russian counterparts. We developed lifelong friendships. Uh, we discovered that uh, these rivers were ideal for a youth exchange, and they were also ideal for other citizen diplomacy trips, uh, as well as competitions, rallies that would take place over the next several years, each of which helped develop common ground and greater good. And actually, we believe played a role in the melting of the, the ice between these countries. And given the nuclear threat at that time, we believe we also had his hand, a small hand, in diminishing the possibility of a nuclear bomb coming our way or us sending one towards Russia. One of the greatest, greatest outcomes of this trip, though, was two years later when we brought the original group of Russian and American students back to the United States to raft the Grand Canyon. So the year after this exploratory trip, we uh, took the American students to the Soviet Union and rafted the same river and then brought that same group together again on the Grand Canyon in uh, Arizona in the United States. Before being able to get on that river trip, no, I take that back, it was after the trip, we had been invited by John Denver, the folk singer, best-selling Grammy award-winning musician from the 70s and 80s, to attend his Windstar Symposium in Aspen, Colorado, and all of the Russians and all of the Americans were able to gather at this event where we were honored for the work that we were doing by John Denver. There were a variety of other humanitarian causes and organizations that were there. 
but we were humbled by this invitation and got to participate in this three-day event. Igor Sarkisov, Igor Sarkisov was one of our interpreters on the very first trip, the exploratory trip. He also was an interpreter on this trip, a kid from Russia without ever, I'm guessing, having hope of going to the United States serving as an interpreter. And the reason that I'm aware of this lack of hope in that country and the fact that we did so much good in building these bridges is after that very first trip, we were on a subway in Moscow and I was talking to an older woman there. I was in my 20s at this point. Um, she was in her 50s or 60s. And I said to her, um, you know, where do you live and tell me about your family. And she shared with me that she had a daughter who had gone to Cuba to be a doctor in Cuba. And I said, well, maybe someday you'll be able to visit her. She replied to me in broken English that she doubted that would ever be possible. And she shared that she was afraid that she might even get written up and placed into custody for having a conversation with me on the subway. So this is an example of, of how remote and afraid the Soviet people um, were, were feeling. Uh, and it, it reflects well on this story about Igor and his time in Aspen. So Igor had learned how to play the guitar by listening to John Denver songs and James Taylor songs, but all of his English came from playing the guitar, singing these songs, and then gradually becoming better and ultimately qualifying as an interpreter, which is how he ended up on this trip. He was a 20-something uh, joy to be around. And of course, when we pulled ashore each night on these river trips, we were regaled with his music and his singing. But his idol, his idol was John Denver. And so we're eager to be able to be in the company of his idol, albeit with hundreds of other people at this Windstar Symposium, was a true honor and something that I'm guessing he never believed would be possible. Then came the highlight. Towards the end of the show, I approached John Denver and said, you know, Igor is a, a fan of yours. He learned how to speak English by playing your songs. And he would love to just spend a little bit of time with you in order to um, just meet you personally and say thank you for what you've been in his life. The reason that we'd ended up at this symposium had a lot to do with intention. And, and you'll hear from some of our guest speakers over the course of these shows that the importance of intention, the importance of, of spending your time in the pursuit of good causes, uh, the importance of believing that you can make a difference in, in the way the world works, whether it's in your community or your city or at work, wherever. But the reason that we were invited to this symposium is an interesting story and intention and believing that you can make a difference. I had gone to a retreat that was uh, put on by one of the sponsors of this first youth exchange and left that retreat fully believing that I could engage uh, entertainers and, and people of wealth to help sponsor Project Raft. And so I, I looked back then, there was no internet. This was pre-internet, pre-email. And so I looked, it must have been in a newspaper or something and saw that John Denver was coming to Lake Tahoe. I was living in Northern California at the time. And so I said, you know, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to speak to John Denver to see if he'd be willing to sponsor Project Raft. I went to the hotel, uh, Harris, Harris Lake Tahoe, South Shore. And I picked up the house phone filled with gumption, filled with intention, filled with the belief that I could make a difference. 
and I asked for John Denver's room. And, and back then it was just a hotel operator that answered the house phones. And, and she said, one minute, please. And so um, I sat on hold and literally on the edge of this gambling floor at uh, Harris Tahoe. I uh, sat on hold for a minute or two and she came back on and she said, I need to ask who's calling. And I said, Ken Streeter. And she said, hold on just another minute, please. And another minute or two went by of silence. And then the phone clicked back on and it was a man's voice on the other line. And he says, oh, hi, can I help you? And I said, John Denver or Susan Green, please. Susan Green was his manager at the time. And the way I knew that was from reading an album cover. And I figured that she might be in the room with him. But I said, John Denver or Susan Green, please. And he said, this is John. And it's important to remember back then, John Denver was the one of the leading, leading entertainers in our country, very highly regarded man. And uh, he said, this is John. And my throat froze. My heart went up into it. I think that's what made it freeze. And I somehow managed to stammer out the idea of Project Raft and the fact that we would love for him to support this organization. He asked me to leave some information with the Mater D. I did that. Um, the Mater D said that he had been able to deliver it to John Denver when I went back and checked a few minutes later. John Denver was unable to see me in person, believe it or not. Uh, above all the nerve, because he had two shows that night and he was getting ready to go on stage. But the Mater D uh, confirmed that he had received the packet. And then lo and behold, two years later, we're at the Windstar Symposium. The highlight of this entire, this entire process, this in adventure, this, the connections that were made, the, the feeling that we could make a difference, that we could create more common good across borders, was when John Denver said to me at the end of the show, why don't you come on back into the back room? And he actually said that to uh, one of our um, participants, another river guide, Suzanne Kanja. And she came and got me and she said, John Denver wants us to come into the back room so he and Igor can spend some time together. So John Denver and Suzanne and Mike Grant, I believe another organizer of Project Raft, I believe Jib Ellison went back into this back room with Igor and for about 20 minutes, this young Soviet kid who had never envisioned this as a possibility or maybe envisioned as a possibility, but never imagined it could happen. Igor got to play John Denver songs to John Denver. And after 20 minutes, John Denver said, I would love nothing more than to be able to stay here and sing and play more with you, but I've got to go to Chicago because I've got a TV special I've got to, got to take. I believe that, and I've, I've heard from Igor since that this event was simply a remarkable and, and uh, one of, once in a lifetime opportunity for him that he treasures to this day. And it's just a reminder of, of why this podcast is in place because each one of us, each one of us has the ability to create a ripple. In this case, Jib Ellison formed Project Raft, Mike Grant, Suzanne Kanja, Susie Dodge, all old friends of mine, all played key roles in its evolution. I was invited to go along on this very first expedition. I was invited to be a, a guide on the youth exchanges. But, but just this simple, this simple engagement with Igor, this ripple created a life-changing event for him. And that's kind of what this podcast is all about. I want you to consider that 
our guests will share with you ways to make it easier for you to create life-changing opportunities for other. They're going to share with you some of the struggles that they faced and overcame in order to become visionaries or movement makers or industry leaders. And my goal in all of this really is to shape the narrative in a way that allows us to believe that there's a lot of good out there. There's a lot of people doing good change. And here's an opportunity. Here's a show to listen or watch stories of that histories of, of businesses or communities that have been lifted up by people and to recognize the importance to believe that each one of us can make that difference. So I hope you've enjoyed these brief stories. Again, I appreciate you tuning in and, and subscribing. Uh, look forward to getting feedback from you on these shows. And uh, thanks a lot for being interested in and watching or listening the Good Change Podcast. With every show, we ask our guests to share a video of them doing something fun, one of their favorite songs, a few lines from a book they enjoyed, or a scene from a great movie, something that matches their hopes, dreams, and good work. And then we give this to you, because laughter and beauty soothes, heals, and changes us. You can find and unwrap this gift on any of our social media sites. Thank you for participating in this podcast. Until next time, keep an eye out for change, good change, and join our movement at kenstreeter.com.